look here this morning at God's grace at work um, on our reactions. That Peter is writing to a group of people that are in some tough circumstances. They're in some tough relationships. And yet God can shape, intends to shape their reactions. And their reactions, our reactions, are shaped by our understanding of who God is and what he can do and the work that he does in us. There's a lot of things that can affect our reactions. Think of physically how someone, when they've, when they've consumed alcohol, they need to stay away from driving because it affects their reaction time. It slows down their ability to react. Our reactions can be affected by internal things as well. Internal, our, our motivations, our expectations. Unmet expectations can lead to a frustrated reaction. If we're expecting things to go one way and they go another, we can react in a frustrated way. I have a mantra that I remind myself of is, is that expectations without communication leads to frustration. We can react in a frustrated way when our expectations go unmet. Differing values will affect how we react to different situations. Think about the uh, two people sitting in the same meeting, one of those people being relationally oriented, another one being task-oriented. They could come out of the same meeting and react differently. One could say, man, that was a great meeting. We just grew closer together. And the one that values accomplishments or tasks being met could come out of the same meeting and say, what are you talking about? We didn't accomplish anything. Those different values can affect how we react to different things. Much of what we experience in life is based on how we react to people and how we react to circumstances. And, and how... Overreaction, that, that's kind of a subjective thing. If you want to see someone overreact, just tell them they're overreacting. Okay? Then you're going to see them overreact then. Peter writes to churches, and you might recall this as we step back into uh, chapter 3 here, he writes to churches that are going through a growing persecution, growing pressure, growing pain because of their following Christ. They refuse to worship the emperor as the rest of the empire does. And this seems to be what Peter is alluding to. He writes from Rome and he tells them in, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter seems to be alluding to a growing persecution that he sees taking place in Rome and that he knows is going to spread over the Roman Empire. And he writes in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But Peter's tone, it's not doom and gloom. It's actually quite optimistic. 
Peter is expecting that believers have a great opportunity to experience God's grace through this growing persecution. And believers also have the opportunity, no matter the circumstance, to experience God's blessing. Believers also have the opportunity to shine as light in a dark world in how we react to pain, to pressure, and even persecution. So we pick up in 1 Peter, in chapter 3, verse 8. We find there where it says, Finally, all of you. And when he says, Finally, all of you, remember that, that he has uh, spoken to three different groups leading up to this, talking about uh, our, the importance of us submitting to human institutions. Submitting to employer-employee relationships. Submitting to the institution of marriage. Submitting to government authorities. And so just as to, to cover everybody uh, involved in the church, he kind of makes this summary statement. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you would obtain, that you may obtain a blessing. And he continues and, and, he's, and he backs up what he's saying from Psalm 34, verses that he quotes from Psalm 34, where he says, For whoever desires to love life, and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now, I've tried to uh, represent the, the parallel statements here that, that you find in the psalm, the poetic statements there. If you're looking on your Bible there, you see it's kind of broken up as poetry there. And, and oftentimes, a psalm, this form of poetry, is making two statements and the second statement either better explains the first one, or it contrasts it. And so here we see them being better explained. So in other words, what does it mean to, to love life? And it better defines it, to see good days. What does it mean to keep the tongue from evil? It's to keep the lips from speaking deceit. And so on, he goes on, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We're talking this morning about being aligned. And the first kind of alignment that we're talking about is much like, well, have you ever experienced that you take your car in to get the tires rotated or to get a tire replaced? And they come out and they talk about this a mystical $200 you know, thing that you need called alignment. And you're like, are you just pulling my leg? You know? Or maybe you know about it because every time, you know, you, you let loose of the steering wheel a little bit, your car goes to the right or your car goes to the left. The problem there is maybe all but one wheel is, is pointing in the correct direction, but one of your wheels is out of alignment. And it's, and it's pointing off in a different direction. And if you don't get those wheels, all of them in alignment, it'll wear down the tread on your tires faster than it should. It'll, it'll wear out your suspension even a little faster than it should. That's the kind of alignment we're talking about here. Aligning with, with the direction 
that we were to be going. And the first opportunity for alignment that we see here is to align your reactions with God's goals. To align your reactions with God's goals. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's how how we expect to respond, to react. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We're called to align our relationships, to align how we react within those relationships with the direction of God's goals. And aligning our reaction with God's goals means that we'll love one another that we will love one another. That's what's being described here in having a unity of mind, a sympathy, a brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If you don't love fellow harvesters, the problem is not them. The problem is not your circumstances. We're called to have a unity of mind. This is not uniformity of thinking, but it's being like-minded in terms of our mission as a church body, as in terms of why we are called to be on mission together. Being like-minded uh, is, is means not uniformity, but single-mindedness in terms of direction. We're called to be sympathetic, to have brotherly love, to be tender-hearted, having hearts that are open to each other. If my heart doesn't go out to my fellow harvester in their grief or in their need for growth, it's because something is wrong with me, not with them. And I see a humble mind as being one that holds loosely to opinions. You know, you can define opinions as um, an idea that is not necessarily based in fact or based in education. An opinionated person thinks that their ideas are better because they come from their mind. So they're obviously better. But we're to have a humble mind toward one another. So in this list, we see the importance of submitting our ideas to the mission that God has given us. That's what submission means. You can see why it's tagged on here to that list of people that are called to submit to every human institution. And then he says, finally, all of you have this unity of mind. We also see it is a primary importance of our hearts going out to one another over and above our ideas being carried out. These are products of walking by the Spirit rather than walking in the flesh. It's only, as Galatians reminds us, that we only by walking by the Spirit that we will not follow the desires of our flesh. Think of it this way. Let's say you're going up Lafayette Road, north out of Crawfordsville, heading up towards 74, okay? And there's no traffic in the southbound lanes. So you decide, I'm going to drive on that side. I'm going to drive in the southbound lanes. All right? And and you're thinking, there's nobody coming. Nothing bad's going to happen. Why not? Well, you know, hopefully you're going to get pulled over and get evaluated as to whether or not you should be driving. But um, you're breaking the law, sure. 
But that sort of thinking is, well, it's, it's only a problem if I, if I end up in a crash. And can you see somebody thinking, well, if that person hadn't been there, it would have been fine. See, when we are out of alignment with God's goals, we're walking in the flesh. And we can tend to think, what does it matter that I'm walking in the flesh as long as I don't blow up at somebody? As long as I don't lose my cool? As long as I don't let the outside reflect the inside? Well, that's as silly as thinking, I can drive in the southbound lanes, even though I'm going north, as long as nothing happens. In the same way, when somebody else gets in our way, when we're walking in the flesh, our fleshly response is, it's their problem. They shouldn't have treated me that way. They shouldn't have acted like that. They shouldn't need my help again and again and again. Where does God tell us the problem lies? The problem lies with our heart. The problem lies with, with our mind being out of alignment with his goals. The problem lies with our lack of humility, with our opinions. We're told to be constantly in the right lanes, the correct lanes, with our heart and with our mind. Scripture calls it walking by the Spirit. Repentance from our fleshliness, from our selfishness, from our pride, our self-centeredness, our grumpiness, our irritability. Repentance allows us to move back where we should be. And we handle relationships and circumstances a lot better than Unloving reactions, they're never justified. It's never good to justify ourselves saying, well, if I'm treated like that, I'm justified in reacting that way. Not according to God's word. Not according to his goals for you. The same sort of spirit-filled reactions are needed in our relationships, even with those that are intentionally causing us problems. On top of loving each other, we're called to bless problem people. And this isn't like, oh, bless your heart, you know, like a backhanded uh, compliment or insult. Peter goes on, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What's the this? This kind of relationship you were called into to bless amidst that relationship that you might receive the blessing of growing closer to the Lord, of, of knowing what it means to be more like Christ in that relationship. Christ who was crushed, who was wounded. It might even mean being wounded a little bit ourselves. When you think. When evil is done to us, it's important to, 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 it's an important opportunity to grow into being more like Christ. You'll remember what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ gave us the example of how we were to live through that relationship and that situation. This is the goal of God's that we must align ourselves with. And it's being like Christ. In fact, it's the good that he is working everything toward that's spoken about in Romans 8. That God works all things together for good. That good is being conformed to the image of his son. This is what it looks like to align your reactions with God's goal. And guess what, young people? This is part of why he gives you siblings. Even when they're being mean and irritating, he uses that to help you to learn to be more like Christ. Because people were mean to Christ. Can you imagine how irritating it must have been for Jesus? I mean, to watch the disciples do ministry, you know? I mean, maybe irritating is not the word. Temptation to be irritable, I guess it would be. Guess what? When we're irritable, it's our problem. As Christians, we can live on three levels, okay? Somebody can do good to us and we could repay them with evil, and anybody walking the face of the earth would say, that's not right. To repay someone with evil when they've done good to you. We can repay someone that's done good to us with good. And that makes sense to anybody. And we can repay someone with good even when they have done evil toward us. That's being Christ-like. That's what we're told here. That is is not a natural response. It's a supernatural response. And guess what? When we're indwelt by the supernatural, we should be uh, growing in our supernatural responses. If we use mistreatment as an excuse for not serving, uh, serving others, it only harms ourselves. It only harms our growth. We're expected within the body of Christ to be stretched to maintain unity. It doesn't come naturally. It's an important way that God makes us more like Christ. And another type of alignment that we're accustomed to is positioning a receiver. Okay, like if you're going to position your antenna to get the game today, the most important game being played between Green Bay and in some team from out west. You're going to align your antenna, right? Or, or you got that, you know, satellite dishes, and the guy comes out and he aligns the satellite dish. And he's got to, like, stick it on your front porch, and your wife is like, I hate that thing, right? Uh, but, and that sort of alignment is so that we can receive. And that's the second kind of alignment that we're talking about. Alignment like like a satellite dish. And I challenge you here this morning, align your methods with God's grace. Align your methods to be able to receive God's grace. Peter backs up what he's saying with, 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 as I mentioned, referencing Psalm 34. And and he talks about loving life, meaning to, to see good days. 
Each person desires to love the life that they're living, right? Let me tell you something. Loving your life is not based on the circumstances of your life. It is not based on your circumstances, whether or not you can love life or not. We also know that that someone can have the life that everybody wants and hate it and be miserable with discontentment. Or maybe they're just face bragging about it, right? On Facebook, you know, it's become fake book. But there's all sorts of discontentment or disharmony under the surface. Having a life that we love to live, having good days means being blessed by God, not not the circumstances. As the ESV notes says, obedience to God in daily life is the path to experiencing God's blessing. Now, we have this temptation to think, oh, okay, so God's an idol, all right? I do what he wants me to do, and he does what I want him to do. That's not what God's blessing is. God's blessing here is talking about giving us the power, giving us the fullness of the Spirit, giving, walking with us through those circumstances, through those relationships, so that we can grow in them, so that we can have joy and other fruits of the Spirit amidst them. We're tempted to create our own methods for living a life that we would love to live. And it includes manipulating situations, manipulating people. Those are our methods. They're our sinful methods that we are born with. Amidst people's sin against us, we're actually called to focus on what God is doing around us and what God is doing in us, even in those uncomfortable relationships. I've heard it said before that every marriage has good aspects and bad aspects. And really, the difference of a person considering themselves in a good marriage is not the balance of good and bad. It's actually which one they focus on. A person considering themselves to be in a good marriage is because they focus on the good aspects of that relationship. At least that's what I heard recently. I agree with it. That that, that applies to all of life. As Warren Wiersbe says, we can decide to endure life and make it a burden, to escape life as though we were running from a battle, or enjoy life because we know that God is in control. Because the fact is is that God sets us free. When we come to know Christ as our Savior, People tend to think that, well, I got my fire insurance so I can live however I want to live. I can really live and and make my life better now because I don't have to worry about hell. That's people's thought about it. But of course, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we've acknowledged that Christ took my sins on the cross and Christ gives me his righteousness in place of my sins. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, we're not just receiving Christ, we're receiving the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and he, it, it's not like, okay, I've got my eternity taken care of. Now I can live life. He redefines life. He informs us of what the life is that's desirable to live. 
It's a life that has an eternal quality to it. It's a life that is lived in relationship with him. It's the life that we were made to live with him in relationship. So align your methods with God's grace. Like I said, it's like aligning your antenna to be able to receive, but but aligning your methods with God's grace. By doing that, we're able to be reflecting God's kindness to others. That's what it looks like to live in those relationships rather than trying to manipulate the relationship, change that person. We're warned against those tools that we, we tend to lean on. Where he says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. It's, it's reflecting. This is reflected in what Peter says earlier in that earlier verse. Not, not reviling when you're reviled, but blessing them. Remember, the readers are being told to live this way even while they're being treated poorly. And this involves telling the truth rather than manipulating people or manipulating the situation with lies. Lying is one of our easiest ways to try to manipulate our world. To try to make the truth say or, or be what we think we, it needs to be in order for us to get what we want or get out of the situation. What's the typically re- recommended reaction in our world when we're accused? Deny, deny, deny. We're not called to live natural. We're not called to live typical. We're called to live supernaturally. As Warren Wiersbe also says, there is no place for lies in the life of a saint. As well as being tempted to lie when we're under pressure, when others treat us poorly, we tend to want to make them regret it. Or else they'll keep doing it. Right? Isn't the typical saying, hey, mess with me once, shame on you. Mess with me twice, and shame on me. In other words, I didn't make you regret it enough when you did it the first time. I didn't teach you a lesson. That's the way that the world tells us to respond to these types of relationships. But that's not what God designed for us. It's not what his grace will do for us. That's not reflecting his kindness to others. We need to align our method Reflecting God's kindness to others involves seeking peace when we're wronged. How do we turn away from evil? When it's time to respond to evil, we do good to that other person. We seek peace. We pursue peace. And just as verse 9, it it tells us to to bless in response to an insult. It also tells us that we were created to receive a blessing from God. Verse 12 shows us how that works. By aligning our methods with God's grace, we'll also be able to be receiving God's help for obeying him. Receiving his help for all of this. 
Now, this contradicts the sinful way that we're born thinking about God. Again, our, our, our sinful, uh, fleshly way of thinking about a relationship with God is, I do what I need to do in order to get him to do what he needs to do for me. But the blessing that we're called to receive here, to, to, to receive from him, is the blessing to be able to do just what it is that we're talking about. To empower us. To be a blessing. This is not the God of our postmodern age. David Wells writes about the God that our world has created and that has crept into the church as well. He says, we have turned him into a God that we can use rather than a God that we must obey. We have turned to a, him into a God who will fulfill our needs rather than a God before whom we must surrender our rights to ourselves. And so we transform the God of mercy into a God who is at our mercy. That, that's the God that the world believes in. Sadly, that's the God that many churches believe in, but that is not the God, the true God that exists. Not at all. We're called to do something very different than what the outside world thinks of God. We're called to trust him. We're called to receive his grace. And that doesn't mean him changing our circumstances necessarily. That doesn't mean him changing that person necessarily. That means him changing us. And we're called to receive every circumstance as a grace with which he is shaping us. You know, imagine a grandparent or a kind adult having a, a small child who's shy and just speaking in the slightest tones, trying to talk to that adult, what is that kind, gentle adult going to do? They're going to lean down, and they're going to get their ear as close as they need to, to hear, and, and the, it's almost like the, the child's mouth, their lips are almost in that person's ear. Sorry if that grosses you out. That's the picture of this verse. When it says his ears are open to their prayers, it literally is saying his ears, their prayers are, are going into his ears. That sort of closeness, that sort of leaning down, the whisper of a shy child of God, even if it's just, help me, help me. The, the writer Kenneth Weiss says this, we have no far off deity that we need to make him listen to us we do not have to plead with God to make him willing to answer our prayers. He is more desirous of answering them than we are to have them answered. But what should we be praying for amidst troubling times and troubling people? What are we to be receiving God's grace for? It's to obey him in the midst of those pressures and trials. To grow more like Christ amidst those pressures and trials. God can grow you so much that you look back on the previous year or, 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 you, or you come to that, that person one more time and you think, man, my whole goal has changed. My whole perspective has changed. 
My ability to resist a fleshly response to this person has changed. Also, we're reminded of the fact that God's keep tr- God keeps track of the evil done to us, and His face is against them. He's got His eye on those who cause us harm because of Christ. And He will have the final say. A man was facing serious surgery that I read about. And one of the nurses looked at his chart and said, well... I guess you're preparing for the worst. He said, no, I'm preparing for the best. You see, I know Christ is my Savior, he said. And I am conf- I've been told and I'm confident that everything that I go through is for my good. She didn't quite understand that. Every circumstance is an opportunity to seek God's grace, to be able to do His will, to bring Him glory. And we have the opportunity to align our methods with His grace, to reflect His grace when we're wronged, to receive His grace for obeying Him rather than trying to manipulate the situation or manipulate others. We have the opportunity to align our reactions with God's goals for the situation. To love one another rather than, be, rather than being frustrated with one another. To love one another through the challenges that we face together. To bless problem people who might even intend to cause us trouble. And no matter what our circumstances, we can react in a way that brings God glory and that means it's our good. It's good for us. Let's bow our heads.